This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Monsignor Barry Brinkman talks about aging with courage. How does forgiveness tie into the aging process? How do the aging still learn to love themselves and others? Why does God allow aging? Well, let's find out. Monsignor Barry Brinkman is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Rick Binder. Okay. How are you, Father Barry? Good. Good deal. Would you like to kick us off this hour? With sure. Um, let me begin with prayer. Um, actually, this is a prayer for the elderly. When, when I um, learned about the um, theme this year of Take Courage, I decided to do a little different twist on it because um, take courage, you know, applying it to the elderly, uh, to everyone is getting older, and especially those who are older, to take courage to live their faith in the midst of all the challenges that comes with, with the aging process. So we'll get more into that. But So let's just begin with prayer. So name the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, as my body experiences the aging process, hold me by your power, that I may not offend you, but daily increase your love in me. Give me the strength to build up your kingdom until the last day of my life on earth. Help me to ever have an increasing dread of sin or whatever would cause the slightest withdrawal of your love. And at night, keep me close to your heart. And should I die as the morning breaks, may I go rejoicing in that vision of your entrancing beauty, never to be separated from you. Amen. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. But um, the topic of um, taking courage, oftentimes we apply that to living the faith, you know, as, as in, in family life or as a young person or whatever. And, and it takes a great deal of courage to live the faith as an older person, too, someone who is entering in the retirement years, so to speak. So I thought it would be a nice application of, the, of that theme that topic to a different group of people that normally we we um, might not associate the theme with. You know what I mean? Sure. So, um, and it's interesting because um, you know the um, the Census Bureau says um, 14 years we're going to reach a tipping point. Uh, for the first time ever, there's going to be more older people than children in the United States <laughs> by 2034. So there'll be more older people. That's over the age of 65 than, than people under the age of 18. That's pretty incredible, you know. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that, that goes back to the whole idea of everybody, smaller families. And, or no children at all. But we're also living longer. Exactly, exactly. So all, all that is a contri- contributing factor. So there's a large part of our population, both the general population and also members of the Church, that, that the— um, that you know, taking courage to live the faith with with and uh, taking courage to have hope and and to practicing Christian love and in the um, latter years of life, it takes effort, takes courage to do that. And the other reason I chose this topic is because um, you know the, we often think about young people being prone to suicide, but the second highest rate of suicide is those who are 80 years of age and older. So that's the second highest rate of suicide occurs in that age group, 80 years of age or older. So it takes courage to have hope, it takes courage to live the faith, because it's easy to give in despair, is my point. Well, easy to, you know, depression, despair, hopelessness, just giving up on oneself and giving up on God. 
And I think society is actually promoting the idea your life no longer has value to us. Exactly. Your, that gets into that is first, great, first so. question is, you know, really, how does um, society look upon the elderly and those or those who are older today? And, and you know, the prevalent attitudes is that the uh, when we reach a certain age, you know, for for some people that's they perceive, you know, 40 of being old. <laughs> but, but however you perceive old age or, or becoming older, they see old age as being weak, um, like you said, useless. It's just, they, they, we, some are very dismissive of older people, that they have nothing to contribute. Sometimes they're ridiculed or mocked in mass media or on, on television, things like that. Uh, they're a burden to society. Sometimes they're perceived that way as well. You know, so in our world where youth is worshipped, you know, the uh, elderly or those who are growing older are, are often um, painted in a very negative light. You know, we are very prejudicial, too. So I want to read you this little description of this person, and, 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 and I want to, you know, uh, for the listeners, what, what picture comes to mind of this person? Who are you imagining? So let me just read this little description. So uh, what age is this person, do you think? Or, so here's the description. There she lay in her bed, still, as I watched her sleeping. My thoughts turned to the question, why God? cannot she speak? Why can't she think rational thoughts? Why is her mind so weak so that no meaningful uh, thoughts emerge from it? Her eyes are insensitive now, her muscles weak, she has no stamina, and is now completely dependent on her caregivers for everything. She can't feed herself, she's incontinent of urine and of bowel, no fine motor skills uh, has she, no sense of taste, indeed all of her senses are dim now. She drools and whines, tears occasionally roll down her cheeks. She seems generally unable to care for herself in any way. She appears helpless. She is disorientated as to the person, place, and time. She seems to have no sense of her own presence. She appears uncomfortable, fearful, without purpose or personal direction. So immediately, usually what image comes to mind when we read this? Read this description. Yeah, well, I, I've personally felt like you were kind of describing my grandmother. I watched my folks take care of her. They kept her at home, and she, you know, got to the point her last several months where mm -hmm. she didn't really respond openly to anybody. And boy, you were right. describing her almost exactly. <laughs> and this author who wrote this was describing a two and a half week old female infant. So, oftentimes we we herald youth as having all the power and all the abilities and, and all the expertise and contribute the most, but that's kind of a prejudicial thing. We always, we don't think of youth as being helpless or, or needy or, or weak or, you know, having to, needing others to assist them oftentimes. So oftentimes our even thought processes are prejudicial. We instantly think that describes a, you know, elderly person. That, that would fit too, but it also fits for a newborn infant. <laughs> So, but, um, but you know, as, as people grow older, why it takes courage to have faith and, and hope and love and, and uh, continue to trust in God and all that is, there's all sorts of things that we can, darknesses you could say we could fall into, you know, like despair and, and depression and anger and loneliness and isolation and lack of self-care and cynicism and, and all of that. And I think we've all known people, right? Sometimes older people have fallen into that. 
know, that trap, so to speak. And then, and then um, we've had experiences of um, older people who are very youthful, you know, in their thinking, not in their body, but in their thinking and their attitude and their optimism and their hopefulness, you know what I mean? And sometimes they're experiencing that same type of suffering that those who are reclusive and isolated and despairing are experiencing. So what's the difference between the two? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and I think also we've met people who are, who are perhaps, you know, um, uh, in their 80s or even 90s, and um, they are as youthful in their mind as a 40-year-old. And I've met some 40-year-olds that are as <laughs> cantankerous and, and uh, stifled in their thinking as a 90-year-old. Does that make sense? Sure. And one of the um, ways why we're so prejudicial sometimes against older people is the world judges by appearance, right, or um, by, our, by our body and by bodily health. So we value the value person by by how much they can contribute, you know, um, by how they look, by by their age, chronological age, and and all of that. And the world sees people who are growing older as they're just experiencing a series of losses, you know, kind of a painful descent into non-productivity, a kind of a, a slippage of strength over time, and. And uh, everything is fading away. That's how the world looks at aging, you know. So the world's really blind as Christians through the eyes of faith and and what we believe about what Jesus reveals to us about our body and soul is that, you know, there's a certain beauty and and goodness that comes with aging that that goes beyond the physical appearance, you know. So you know we talk about being transformed, and that literally that word means going beyond the form. So when we change our perception of aging, we transform our perception of aging. That means we're going beyond simply judging a person by their looks or by their age. We're seeing going deeper, seeing the wisdom that's there, the beauty that's there, the, the goodness of, uh, that's there, the love that's there. So we're trying to see aging through the eyes of Jesus, really, um, who values the person, not simply how well we look or how strong we are or all those physical features, but but going deeper, you know, into the very soul of who we are. We're a soul, you know, that temporarily, temporarily has this, this body. You know, um, sometimes people ask, you know, why did God invent the aging process? You know, God allows the aging process, you know. God created us, created our bodies and our souls and, and this whole, whole journey that we're on. And, and, and why, did God, why does God permit the aging process? And I think the Christian response to that is, you know, it's really calling us back to our real home. You know, we're, we're in this world, but not of this world. You know, as St. Paul says, our body is like a tent that's slowly folded up, and it's a reminder that our ultimate home, our ultimate place we want to be, our ultimate dwelling, is this unity with God, the beatific vision. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and the aging process reminds us of that, that we're on a journey. There's a starting point, and then and there's an ending point, you know. And it's a participation in the Paschal Mystery, too, the aging process, this dying to, you know, well, both of us are getting older, right? We die to a certain self-image of ourselves, and a new image rises, you know, hopefully a, a deeper understanding of self and appreciation of our value in God's eyes that goes beyond our physical health and beyond our looks and how much hair we have or don't have and all that, you know. So, <laughs> Well, and 
you know, we, we reach a point where we've reached our physical maximum of growth, at least maturity-wise. We may grow around the midsection a little bit or something, but, but we actually start to decline physically a little bit as we get older. But we should still be growing spiritually and intellectually and growing closer to God in that. So growing never ends even through the fullness of the dying process. Right. Another way to look at it is that, you know, if you look at all the stages of life, every stage involves two things, a letting go of something and a rising up of something else. As theologians say, it's, there's a required loss to in order to gain. You know, so um, when we're little, you know, we we died to having the blankie, you know, so we could rise to a new mature way of living where we didn't have to have um, that support. Or, um, you know, we had to die to childhood to become a teenager, you know, and, and uh, we had to die, die to being a teenager to rise to uh, becoming acting and behaving as an adult, you know, and then we die to our 20s to rise to our 30s, and, and so the whole process just continues to the very end where we Ultimately, it's letting go and this rising to a new stage in life. You know, and like you said, ultimately it goes to the very end, and this final letting go of our earthly bodies, this tent, as St. Paul would say. You know, and then you hear about people that have the midlife crisis or struggle mm-hmm. at certain birth dates. Uh, they don't or want 40. to die to the former. Right. They want to oh, stay, and, right. and, that, and they can never rise to that new stage. Then, if they don't, you know, let go and die to that, it's hard. It's difficult. It is to let go of what we know and mm-hmm. find it to be comforting to us. But oftentimes when we find new life in the next stage, we find out it's even more rewarding and more bountiful than what we had before. It's, it's interesting. People who go into retirement, sometimes that's a major crisis period because they've been in their life, all their life they've been in the stage of, you know, some of much of my value for my life is based on how productive I am and, you know, and my position or my title or my job. And, and when that falls to the wayside, when that stage dies, they feel rather lost or even abandoned or despairing, you know, and it's difficult for them to enter into retirement, you know, because it's a dying process, you know, and then entering a new way of living, new new way of perceiving our life. Well, and probably for a big chunk of their life, they are identified their purpose and usefulness through their work. Exactly. Remember George Eastman, the founder of Eastman Kodak Company? Oh, yes. After his retirement, he committed suicide. Just a few months after his last note, he wrote, my work is finished, why wait? His whole life was, his whole identity was simply his work, and when that stage ended, he didn't think he had anything else. You know. So and he probably was a very wealthy man. He had all oh, kinds I'm of sure, things. Oh, sure, yeah. So. yeah. You know, there's some um, good spiritual Catholic books out there on, on aging and, and retirement and, and how to, how to um, prepare yourself for that, too. I could just mention a couple of those right now. Um, one of the books we actually did a study in in the parish there in Hayes, Macaheart and Mary, is entitled The Twelve Keys to Spiritual Vitality the 12 keys to spiritual vitality and the subtitle is powerful lessons on living agelessly living agelessly it's by uh, dr richard johnson he came and spoke to our priest 10 or 15 years ago and this is produced by Liguori publications a catholic publication and um, he speaks to retired religious clergy and also just um, retired folks in general about about how to 
deep in your spiritual life as you grow older, and especially as you grow in the latter years of your life. His other book is entitled Creating a Successful Retirement, Creating a Successful Retirement, Finding Peace and Purpose, and that's by Dr. Richard Johnson as well. And, and he speaks about how you can, what to prepare for emotionally, spiritually, socially, as a person enters in retirement. So they don't slip into despair or find life meaningless and, and, um, or somehow, you know, abandon the faith. Is, is it more prevalent that somebody that is widowed or a, maybe single or alone when they retire, does it help if they're in still a marriage or some kind of a relationship to avoid that or... I don't know. I don't know that stu- you mean like the studies on that. I'm not up on that particular factor where that contributes or helps or, or not. Well, sometimes you hear of married couples talk about when one or the other of the spouses retires, they just become very agitated and, and <laughs> with a whole different lifestyle, living sure. being together more. Yeah, sure. and he talks about that in that retirement book. Now, uh, so it's a change in lifestyle for both spouses. No, sure, so, um, and that's why a lot of people who are listening who are who went into formal retirement then came out of retirement right and got a part time job or something because they wanted to be useful you know they they wanted to um be with people and be connected, and that's one of the things I'm going to cover, and actually they don't need that part time job necessarily, but it's helpful for them financially, but it's even more helpful for them spiritually and socially and and psychologically my dad's eighty nine he turns 90 the day after Christmas. He goes to the nursing home to visit the old people. <laughs> so, so aging really is a state of mind because he doesn't perceive himself as being 89. <laughs> yeah. When he gets old, he'll think about living there. But for now, he's just going to visit. He's just visiting. So anyway. Okay. Um, we talked about um, aging, uh, living agelessly, that is um, – Remaining spiritually alive and vibrant is kind of an inner youthfulness, you could you could put it, and it has nothing to do with age. This inner vibrancy and youthfulness, uh, kind of being spiritual vitality. So it comes as a result of living out our our faith, hope, and love. You know, we often talk about eternal life, and oftentimes we think simply of heavenly life when we talk about eternal life. But Jesus spoke about you know the kingdom of God is now; it's in our presence. And he wants to give us life now. So another way of looking at eternal life, it means, a, means our life is constantly renewing ourselves uh, in and through Him. So we're forever young inside, vibrant, growth-filled. It's like a, a spring of water within us, like a well that's fed by a spring of water. It's always producing, refreshing, life-giving water. That's why one of the titles of Jesus sometimes is He's the wellspring, you know, spring of the well within us. It's constantly renewing our life each day. And so that's um, what we're invited to do, even as our body ages and our mind begins to fade and, and um, we experience sickness and disease. This life Jesus gives us doesn't depend on our form, our, our body, you know, because uh, it's, it's on a level, much deeper level, much profound level that, that he's giving us life. And this life obviously goes beyond our physical and material world, you know. Sure, and when you so, talk, yeah, go ahead. when you talked about you know dying to this stage of my life and living new in my next stage, in a sense, I'm an infant every time I 
true. And that's why it's so awkward. You enter a new stage of life, whether like retirement, it's very awkward because it is you're getting used to getting your feet underneath you. What does it mean to live this new stage, this new phase of my life with my spouse, with my friends, with with Christ? You know, living the faith in a new way, perhaps. So, yeah. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio, whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo. Please know, we'll be right back with Monsignor Barry Brinkman talking about aging with courage. on Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. Monsignor Barry Brinkman. Aging with Courage. Rick Binder conducts the interview. Visiting with Monsignor Barry Brinkman about living agelessly in Christ, talking about the challenges of growing older, finding purpose and usefulness in our life, how we keep our spiritual growth continuing to build, even though we're getting older physically, we still need to continue to grow spiritually and grow closer to God. And how can that have an impact on the people around us, as well as how do we live it ourselves? I think we were just getting to where you were going to share some ways or methods. Yeah, um, you, people want to know, well, how, how do I do this? How do I sit, stay spiritually vibrant? How do I, you know, even in the midst of the aging process, to remain youthful from within and, and mind, body, and, and spirit? So um, there's just two or, thing, two or three things among many things I can mention, but I'll just mention two or three. One is recommended by um, Dr. Richard Johnson here in, in that first book I recommended, the 12 Keys to Spiritual Vitality. And his first very first principle or recommendation is, is to seek love everywhere. You know, Jesus spoke about the love of God, love of neighbor, and love of oneself. And he, he, he emphasized that because, as John's Gospel tells us, God is love. So wherever we see love, detect love, share love, we're experiencing something of God's divine presence. So when we seek love everywhere, seek to see it, detect it, and also to share it, then we're actually uh, remaining in God's presence, and with that comes all these blessings. So, But we have to be very deliberate about that, uh, to, to seek that love, because as I mentioned before, it's easy to um, slip into despair and begin to see the world through a very dark lens. You know, you watch the news, and there's evil, there's hatred, there's violence, there's poverty, there's anger, and, you know, and seemingly God is absent. You know, and we could easily begin to see the world that way. So one way to attempt to seek love everywhere is, this is kind of an interesting uh, insight. Psychiatrists and psychologists um, talk about how all human action is either a statement of love or requests for love. That every human act is either a statement of love, someone trying to share love or show love, or every human act is a request for love. Love is a motivating factor, in other words, behind all human actions and choices. So some people, you know, ask for love in healthy ways, and some people in unhealthy ways, right? So lust, greed, and envy, you know, the, the, the saints in, our, in our, our church talk about how these are really distorted or perverted expressions of love. It's someone really wanting love, but they're expressing it in an unhealthy, hurtful, you know, sinful way. 
So I find that rather interesting that one of our primary motivations is either to receive love, request love, or to or it's expression of love. So um, when we begin to kind of um, kind of put that on, put that exercise on, you know, how do how do we seek love forever? Well, look for virtue. So uh, virtue is love in action. So virtues like hope and faithfulness and generosity and honesty. So whenever we see these virtues in other people, then love is present. It's a manifestation of love, and which is God is behind all that. So once we train our perception, perception, our, our way of seeing to become more aware and sensitive of virtue, then we begin to see love everywhere, potentially. You know what I mean? And those people that are hurtful and obnoxious and <laughs> things like that, we begin to perceive them differently because we see really they're desperate for love, you know. Um, well, and I, where I really experience that is when we do the mission trips or we do some kind of mission work. In our mission, we're hopefully showing an expression of love by what we do. But if we go and we don't really, if we just kind of do it as a, something that we feel obligated to do mm-hmm. and don't really immerse ourselves in it. We're looking more for, well, we want the love back. We don't give enough time or patience to allow it to come back. Right. You know, it really takes... It takes effort and effort concentration and, 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 and a mindset and a heart set. Sure. Yeah. And the opposite of this, if we don't seek love and aren't perceiving how people are motivated by either the absence of love or the need for love is... Is the opposite of love is fear. We know that from sacred scripture. You know the um, that phrase "fear not" in the Bible. You know it's used 365 times. Fear not, or do not be afraid. So um, fear can be a major obstacle in um, living the faith and in sharing love and 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 following Christ and and all of that. So. You know, Jesus also said, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened. If we seek love, if we, if we really believe Jesus' words, he says, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened for you. So if we seek love, sincerely, and, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we'll find it. If we seek fear, we're going to find that, too. Remember, Jesus says, seek and you will find. So what are we seeking, you know I mean, each day? And we're going to find it, <laughs> whether it be fear or love, you know, and... Um, as we age, it's easy to give in to fear, fear of the future, fear of what's taking place, you know, the stage of my life and, and all of that. In some situations, it's hard to detect God's love. It, like you said, it takes time, you know, sure. someone, someone who's difficult to, to minister to or to serve or to be around, you know, yeah. it takes some effort. The um, That kind of bleeds into the next principle or next helpful hint if we're going to remain spiritually vibrant is to is to live in the present. One of the things that as we grow older, you and I and and everyone else are susceptible to is we can either dwell in the past or we can focus on the future all the time, but not be in the present. In fact that's just not a challenge of someone who's older, that's a challenge for, for for everyone really. Because if we look at the past, if we dwell in the past, that's gonna breed guilt in us. You know, we look at our past, we look at what we could have done, should have done, our regrets, and, and all of that. If we simply focus on the future, we're going to give in to fear. You know, um, uh, fear about what's going to happen next, and assuming tomorrow will be like today, and it can lead to all sorts of, you know, uh, projections into the future, what-ifs, you know, that are fearful situations that we think might happen. And 
And so the challenge is to, um, to, to be in the present, you know, um, because now is the only time we have um, to state the obvious. Now is the time to love. Now is the time to pray. Now is the time to share. You know, yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's not here yet. Tomorrow's uncertain. So, um, and Christ is in the now. You know, he's, he's present to us now. So that's where we need to be. So those who live in the past or live in the future, um, you know, Dr. Johnson makes the point that there's two forms of despair in older people. Uh, despair expresses itself in two different ways. One is cantankerousness. <laughs> Someone is cantankerous. Sort of an angry person who's critical of the world and people around him, and he or she's been treated unfairly. They're kind of filled, filled with fear and and they don't want to look at life. They go, what, you know, life hasn't been good to me, and, and something, you know, I've got the short end of the stick. And so um, sort of angry at their situation and angry at people around them. That's one form of a despair. A lot of times we don't, we might not interpret that as despair, but it really is despair. The other expression of despair is self-hatred. So this is a person, older person turns in on themselves. They kind of lament uh, they were not a good person or could have been a better person. They, they, instead of blaming others, they blame themselves and place all the burden on themselves and all the problems are their own fault. And, and so two forms of despair. One is directed outward and one is directed inward as in the form of self-hatred. So those are the, by living in the now, a person can avoid those two extremes, you know. Um, so, you know, if you think about each day, we can kind of decide what that day is going to be like. Right? We can't control the circumstances. We can't control all the events that are going to happen in our life, obviously, or as our, as our body ages. But we can choose our reaction. We can choose faith over fear. Right? We can choose um, the light of Christ over the, over the darkness of the world. So when we wake up in the morning, we can choose to be self-reliant, or we can choose to place our reliance, our trust in God's love. We can choose to to be in the present this day, or we can choose to simply spend the whole day, day thinking about the past or fretting about the future. You know, so we're, we have a choice every day, you know, a choice to be a certain type of person that, that lives the faith in a certain way with the help of the Holy Spirit. We're not powerless, in other words. Sure. And, and that's where Christ is in the present events and experiences of our lives. That's our challenge is to, to know that, his presence, his love, you know, and, and also to discern what, how am I being formed and shaped, how is Christ forming and shaping me through this particular experience, you know. <clears throat> that kind of brings up something before you run out of time that it's not on the list there of questions, but, you know, um, I visit nursing homes a lot and, and see lots of old, older people who are, you know, different areas of dementia and and the horrible disease of Alzheimer's and, and all of that. And, um, you know, Pope John Paul II had a real insight uh, about this, or Saint Pope John Paul II. You know, when he, um, the Pope annually gives a special Mass for the sick and handicapped in Rome. And uh, Pope John Paul II said this, this was a couple decades ago. I thought this was a very provocative insight. He said this, Pain and sorrow are never endured alone, or in vain. The death of Jesus on the cross has given human suffering new value and a new dimension. And then he said to them, he said to the handicapped there and the, and the sickly who were with him, by your suffering you help Jesus in his work of salvation. 
by your suffering, you help Jesus in his work of salvation. Now, how, how, how is that? You know, I mean, how is their suffering? Well, one way, one example of this is, you know, those who take care of the elderly, and especially those who are taking care of elderly parents or relatives in the home, you know, um, something's happening to you by your care for them. Even if they have dementia or Alzheimer's, you're being transformed. And it's sometimes a very difficult uh, transformation. But as you take care of your suffering family member, you're being instilled with certain virtues that ordinarily you would not have if not for this experience. So the virtues of selflessness, of, of generosity, of, of faithfulness, of suffering alongside them, all those you're giving been are being given virtues and capacities that you would never have had if it wasn't for uh, this moment and, and this experience. So by their suffering, God is helping you along. Along they're helping you that you're ministering to them, but also they're ministering to you in, in the midst of their helplessness and midst of their suffering, because through them God is drawing forth from you virtues and blessings and traits, that qualities that are beautiful, that, that are holy, that the person normally wouldn't have ever had if it wasn't for, for this moment, for this experience. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I saw that play out firsthand watching my parents take care of my grandmother. My grandmother lived with us when I was in uh, junior high and high school. We took care of her and until uh, her death in the home. And, and you know, as a young person, she's the only grandparent I ever knew, and that had an impact on me as we cared for her. You know, she diminished in age, and but it was a great blessing. You know, to that's a touchstone that experience for for future experiences. You know, I can enter in, into more deeply because I had that initial experience of sure of um, company someone in their suffering and the virtues and attributes and traits that can and instill in a person. But sometimes you don't see that till after it's all over. You know, in the, in the midst of it, it's very taxing and very hard, and, and sure, you're joining yeah. them in their suffering. Sure, and just the physical exhaustion from dealing with it day to day can mm-hmm. kind of prevent you from seeing the spiritual growth that's taking place. And the temptation is to think, I can't live my life because I have to take care of, you know, my parent or relative or whatever, but actually you're gaining depth of life, <laughs> you know, in a, in a very mysterious and and a wonderful way. Sure. <laughs> well, I can make one final point in the final four or five minutes. Um, the, the, one of the final principles, too, of um, kind of remaining spiritual, vibrant, and, and um, living agelessly is um, to, forgive, to forgive others and forgive oneself. You know, um, a lot of people hold in anger and blame and judgment either against others or themselves, resentments, old grudges. And um, and we live in a world, you know, where everything is permitted, but nothing is forgiven, as one author wrote. Everything is permitted, but nothing is forgiven. Think about that, you know what I mean, in, in general society. So, um, so forgiveness is kind of a lost art. And Jesus says we forgive, what, 70 times 7? Which means forgiveness is always are to be part of our life for never to cease doing that action of forgiving. But oftentimes people for, don't know what forgiveness is or they don't know how to, how to begin forgiveness. And actually, I'm doing a whole retreat on this <laughs> at Manor House. Here's a, a shameless plug <laughs> this, <laughs> this spring, just a little two-hour session on 
what is forgiveness, what is not forgiveness, how to begin that process. And it is a process. It's not a one-time event. You know, uh, forgiveness is not, you know, first I'll tell you what forgiveness is not. It's not a feeling. It's not pretending you're not hurt. It's not condoning what a person did. Forgiveness is not trusting the offender necessarily again. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. You don't have to be buddy-buddy with a person who for, who wronged you. Um, forgiveness is not, you know, um, is not forgetting. We, we can't wipe our memory clean. Um, uh, forgiveness is not relieving a person of responsibility. And, and forgiveness is not a one-time decision. It's a whole process to do this. And sometimes it takes weeks, months, even years to forgive someone who, who has hurt us. So... Um, and that's one of the parts of remaining spiritually vibrant, because one of the things that can really drain us spiritually and prevent us from even praying or even having hope is is this inner poison that we can carry with us. This kind of we imprison ourselves in anger and bitterness and and dwelling in the past and and the blame game and and all of that. So forgiveness is key to unlocking you know staying young from within and uh, being responsive to Jesus and actually doing what Jesus commanded us to do, too. And Jesus wouldn't command us anything that's harmful. He wouldn't command us to do anything that, that wasn't healthy for us, that, that wouldn't bring blessings, that wouldn't deepen our life in him and, and through him. So with that, I think I'm running out of time. But Well, I think forgiveness of self, especially for the elderly that look back over their lives and mm-hmm. feel the guilt and shame of mistakes or whatever might right. have happened in life. So. Forgiveness itself is a big part of that as well. Exactly. And then the two books you mentioned, 12 Keys to Spiritual Vitality, Living Agelessly. Right. right. Uh, Dr. Richard Johnson. Right. And if they go on a search engine for his name, they'll bring up other books as well. So it's easy to find him. Okay. He's a popular author and speaker. Would these two books also be good for, say, maybe not the elderly, but people that are are experiencing watching their parents grow older or oh very much so especially these this these 12 keys of spiritual vitality it's his first book and um these principles that he outlines would be very helpful to share with older parents or just to be mindful of what they need and all these principles could be applied to someone who's caring for an elderly parent because usually that person is middle-aged themselves you know and these principles would apply since we're all getting older (laughs) i mean it's a, a relative term isn't it yeah, well, I'm I'm upper middle age. Okay. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> so you're still looking young anyway. That's what question eight here says. Oh, How yeah, do you stay looking so young? Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Monsignor Barry. Thank you for moderating. Okay. Would you Take give care. us a, Would you give us a priestly blessing on your way out? Sure. Uh, may Almighty God bless us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo, we appreciate you tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you would like to comment on today's show or have an idea for a future show, please go to dvmercy.com and click on the Double-Edged Sword icon. And folks, Divine Mercy Radio is needing to raise funds to purchase equipment for a station in Salina. If you can help with this project, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KBDM Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Gray Bend, and soon 101.7 KJDM Salina. 
If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.